want to thank all of our listeners for several years of dedicated and loyal listening throughout the Halo Talks 400 podcast completed to date. We're going to 1,000 by 2024. If you're so inclined, we'd love to have you go to iTunes for us, fill out a review so we can keep this podcast rolling globally. We are now on Chartable's top lists and moving up the charts. Also, if you want to educate yourself in the new year, please go to thehaloacademy.com. Take a look at what we've done with 150 executives in the Halo sector to get them smarter, get them prepared for capital raises, and also more winning. Thanks. Have a great season. Let's go. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having Boris Beva coming in related to My Strong Circle. We're going to talk about the evolution of aggregation of fitness classes, studios, and Halo bricks and mortar businesses. That is going to be how things move forward. And we're going to try and connect people with what their preferences are and then customize preset bundles because I did my work. And she's going to tell us how that's going to evolve. So take off on why you started this, what frustrations you're solving, and um, how things are going. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think we came up with the idea. It was kind of a personal pain point. I, you know, I, I was doing yoga, uh, but the, and I was super passionate about the type of yoga that I was doing. But then as I kind of gained confidence, I started doing other fitness classes like cy- cycling, boxing, strength training. And I discovered that I really, really like cycling and this one particular cycling studio. So um, it was a challenge for me because I already had a m- uh, membership at the yoga studio and it wasn't really justifiable to buy a second membership at the cycling studio, which can be pretty expensive. So I ended up just buying occasional classes or class packages. And I think as a result, I just wasn't exercising and doing the things that I love as much as possible. Uh, so ultimately, the, the idea came um, and it's borrowed from the airline industry. And that's to form alliances among indirect competitors. But we're kind of spinning this in the fitness space, but basically bundling two indirect competitors into one membership to give people access um, to the two or three fitness studios that they lost. So if I'm um, currently on a class pass or gym pass, um, obviously I have access to a lot of different uh, modalities. You know, people yeah. usually hone in on, this is my workout routine once I find what I like. Absolutely. Um, but what would be the benefit to a consumer to say, okay, I'm picking these two, I'm going all in, and then can I change that on a monthly basis based on the, the studios or clubs in your network? Yeah. So I think that the existing aggregators, class passion pass, um, they're good to discover what you like, but what we found out and what even they have shared is that once, pe- once people know what they like, they kind of tend to stick with the same few places that they love um, and kind of close usually to their home or work. So Instead of going like, okay, here's 400 studios and they're like, for example, in Chicago, but the, most of them are irrelevant. We're like, okay, pick the favorite, the two or three, and then get unlimited classes. Because by you limiting the variety or kind of personalizing the variety, we're able to actually give you unlimited classes, which is a big pain point 
with the members of other aggregators that the you know they kind of have to subscribe to a certain amount of credits and that doesn't is not really doesn't really help them exercise as much as possible. Um, and kind of another data point for um, our biggest competitors that they've shared is that you know about fifty percent of their members buy directly from studios. Um, so they're using that aggregate as a supplement versus as their whole, you know, membership. Yeah, I mean, the original idea of aggregation was to sell excess inventory um, and fill up classes. The original business model was kind of a marketplace and, you know, like we're Switzerland. Um, they've got a great country, you know. Uh, anytime you think of Switzerland, you just think like neutral. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're just, we're just out to help everyone. Um, yeah. Talk about Swiss banks another time um, yeah. and secret deposits. But anyway, <laughs> back on track, the aggregators at some point, they have to say, look, I have a certain amount of inventory I need. I have to buy that based on my business model at the lowest price. Therefore, suppliers are suppliers and vendors to me. And I've got to manage the, 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 the gap or the you know, arbitrage or the, the margin, if <laughs> you will, between the two. Um, <laughs> you know, as you take a look at who you're either competing with or who maybe is a potential acquirer. Um, if you kind of nail this and execute and say, hey, that's another interesting way to address the market. Um, mm-hmm. How does the studio kind of win when? in this you know new era of these groups are out here, they're venture capital back. There's a lot of money behind them and they've got a big sales force going out and getting employers, health insurance companies. And at some point, we got to figure out, okay, how does everybody win? Is there going to yep. be enough demand? And Perfect. if I'm a health club operator, the last thing I want you doing, and, I, and we're friends now, so you could do it, but the last thing I want you doing is taking away my credit card or my ACH relationship with my okay. member. And now I'm waiting yeah. for you to send me an ACH transfer on how many people showed up oh. and what money I'm getting instead of me having my billing relationship with my member relationship. So how do you kind of think about or how do you get around that or answer that question that says to a studio, look, you're going to win. And let me tell you how, dot, 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 yeah. over to you. Yeah. So I think the difference between us, that's the other difference uh, between us and other aggregators is uh, how we manage and how we build a product that's actually, I think, helping studio, studios uh, to kind of have a more direct relationship with that consumer, right? Because yes, we are an aggregator, but because our members pick two or three and, you know, mostly two to studios, we're, I think, the kind of second best to a full-time member because we've given you a part-time member. And yes, okay, we're collecting the payment, but guess what? We're also paying the credit card fee, so maybe it's not such a bad idea. But ultimately, we've given you a part-time member that's frequenting your, uh, your place, getting the benefit of the workout, a part of your community and potentially you can upsell them for all the other things you're selling, where it's apparel or um, uh, retreats, et cetera. Um, and then in terms of like aggregating obsolete inventory, there was a lot of obsolete inventory before the pandemic. I think my mind body mentioned that there's 50% of class pads go on fill, which is a lot. Granted, there's always going to be some obsolete inventory because there's off peak time classes. Uh, but there's not that much obsolete inventory to aggregate anymore. 20 to 30% of studios have closed. Class schedules are not back to like full pre-pandemic, I think, of a lot of studios. So there's not that much inventory. So I think the problem of I want to monetize my excess inventory is secondary right now for studios. They're like, 
looking to create a more meaningful and get more commitment out of members. But it's also very hard to do that when we estimate 90% of boutique fitness studio customers exercise in multiple gyms and studios. So they, you know, when we, we've seen great adoption from studio partners, I think once when we do a demo, like I think it's our conversion rate is like 80%. They absolutely get when they do. And I think they, uh, they've embraced our, our model. Got it. So from a standpoint of, of, of your, you know, you're kind of a B to B to C model. So, you know, not many people before this podcast, now everyone will know what my strong circle is and get in touch with you. Um, but how do you get members to, to know about it? And is this something that at some point, can you convince the studios to offer the bundle and yeah. say, it's like powered by my strong circle and not, and I'm not, I know that if you get on the bundle, you're going to stay X number of months longer because I have given you variety um, and they actually market it for you on their website. So, so actually that's already happening. Uh, so we just uh, launched in Chicago, you know, last year and we did that with Colic and the open beta and it was the studios that uh, helped us get our first members. So they are on board uh, with that. And I think that's going to be part of our ongoing marketing strategy is to, um, to, to utilize our studios uh, to, to promote on our behalf. Um, and the, the reason, like, ultimately we did that open beta to test, like, what does, after we get members, what does that look on the studio side? And does it still make sense for them? And the verdict is out, even with our small open beta, that it does make sense for them. And they, they continuously uh, are still promoting on our behalf. I think we still need to help them a little bit with some marketing. Uh, but, but, yeah, that's definitely there. Gotcha. So from a standpoint of, of building the company, talk about, you know, when you founded it, what you did before, you know, why this is now your life's mission and, um, you know, what the team you have in place and the technology platform and whatever else you'd like to share. Yeah, absolutely. So I started my career in corporate finance and the 10 plus years uh, doing that. Uh, my last corporate gig was at, actually at Life Fitness. I was the finance director at Life Fitness, so I got to know the fitness industry really well. And when I left Life Fitness, I was actually even before the pandemic, my first idea kind of just popped in my head. And for a startup, it took like I would say six to nine months, like really doing market research interviews to figure out exactly what the business model look, looks looks like before we started building. And uh, so we built the thing. We had a website um, that had multiple integrations and we launched, uh, well, the first time we launched was like two weeks before the pandemic started, which was not so great. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, so we had to navigate the pandemic for two years and then we relaunched, um, then we relaunched um, last year. So we have an iOS, uh, we have an iOS app as well. In addition to the website, our web website has multiple integrations with like MindBody, Mariana Tech and Zinkbit. And we've also, I think more importantly, how we price this and the pricing mechanism that we've developed that's very unique to us. All our memberships are Price to la carte, how we pay our studio partners, which is part of a proprietary mechanism, is also like a very unique to any marketplace, not only in fitness, but in other verticals as well. Really, so where we stand right now is like, you know, we've gotten great adoption from studios. We have about 30 studio partners in the Chicago market. We're already getting inquiries from like other markets and studios in other markets. So we're starting to like think about actively like when, where is our next market? 
Uh, but ultimately, we're still very focused on Chicago, growing studio-based and member-based in the, in the Chicago market. In terms of team, it's me, 10 plus years uh, in corporate finance. Uh, so like, you know, li- used to live in Excel before, <laughs> before right. doing financial models and doing M&A transactions. Uh, uh, so very much business focused. Uh, and then I have another team member who also, she was a personal trainer, Nick Monox, and I was a personal trainer uh, herself and by herself. And she does uh, business uh, development of studio partnerships. Got it. So from a standpoint of, of, are you trying to build my strong circle as a, as a consumer brand? So when you go on, do an yep. SEO search or... You've got partnerships with, uh, you know, corporations or, you know, groups in, in certain, um, you know, communities where it's like, hey, go through me and I'll be able to provide this to you, you know, and, and how much money do you think you need to get that name out there? Because uh, yeah. building any kind of consumer branded business, you got to yeah. spend a lot of marketing dollars yeah. to do that. So talk about as being a finance person, probably being um, realistic about, you know, how long it takes to do that, how much how much money it takes to do that. And obviously right now you're in, you know, market validation mode in Chicago and it sounds like that's going well, but, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm asking this question also because there's entrepreneurs listening here and sometimes they discount how long it's going to take to get to market and to get, you know, that brand awareness. So to talk about how you as a finance person, you know, Mm -hmm. thinks about that, thinks about patience, thinks about progress. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we've uh, definitely learned that. And that was actually the first advice that we got from one uh, one uh, entrepreneur that we reached out when we first started building this. It's just going to take longer than you expect. We obviously had that two years of the pandemic that kind of threw us in limbo. A limbo but um, uh, talking about fundraising, yeah, so we just opened a pre-seed at Bootstrap pretty much bootstrapped the company up until now with my own funds. We raised just a small friends and family, and then we won some pitch competitions, which we're trying to do more of those as well. So right now we're raising a pre-seed to exactly like further validate the, uh, the business model in Chicago um, and then prepare to launch in a second market. Uh, you know, after that, Again, like we've made some assumptions with what, what customer acquisition cost is, but considering that we're getting, you know, support from our studio partners, I think that's going to be a lot more like favorable than other consumer facing brands. Um, and I think that's the value of the product that we've built because we've built it thinking about what's important for studios as well, uh, which I think is going to help us in the long term. But yeah, the long term goal is to be in any, every major U.S. and international market when there is a lot of saturation of different fitness studios. Um, and then we also want to um, add other things, not only boutique fitness studios, but, you know, because not only people exercise in, mul- in multiple terms of studios, they're doing like apps and other things. So ultimately we want it to become your personalized hub for all things fitness and wellness. Yeah, I would think that the evolution of the bundle could potentially be, I mean, we've been preaching for years to for health club operators to say, or might be saying to them, if you're an authority on workouts, you better be an authority on workout recovery. There's no reason why that shouldn't be inside your four walls. Having said that, you have to become an expert at that to actually pull it off. So if there was a bundle of, you know, a cycling studio, a recovery studio, 
a yoga studio, a med spa, a nail salon, and a European wax, like that might be like the, the best in class bundling. And you facilitate that. And it's a much broader, like, this is everything I want to do. And you make it more cost effective for me to do it. Yeah. So uh, this is the, uh, the other selling point that we, uh, when we talk to studio partners, that we tell them, well, actually, I have a little bit different opinions on like what should studio, where should studios expand between their four walls? Because the trend that we've been seeing is like, okay, if I'm a yoga studio, I think it's only natural that I add, uh, add Pilates studios. But guess what? The Pilates studios across the street is adding now yoga classes. So you while you think that's not not now you're competing with each other versus like forming this alliance and you stick with what you know and what you're good and what made made your brand be what it is versus like trying to please everybody. Uh, so ultimately, I mean, as I said, you know, we borrowed this this idea from the airline industry where indirect com- competitors form alliances, the same with fitness. Be the yoga, the best yoga studio in, ta- uh, in town and create this um, alliance with the Pilates studio across you so you don't have to invest in the programming equipment, et cetera. Sure. So I just want to tell you a quick story. There was a group that had, let's just call it a, um, let's say it was a personal training service and they would go to people's homes and they were in 25 different markets. Uh, the main market they were in was in New York City. Uh, they called us to help them with a financing. Um, I lived on 29th Street in Madison before I moved to California. And I said to them, how do I not know about you? I live in a high-rise building in Midtown East Manhattan. And you're in Dayton, Ohio, um, you know, uh, Waco, Texas. You know, and you have these apps that you're connecting personal trainers with home consumers wouldn't it have been better to like saturate New York, LA, San Francisco, Chicago, before you started doing secondary or third markets and, and actually show someone like, as an example, you're in Chicago, was that the third or fourth largest city in, in, in the, in the U S. So I would just say if you could crush Chicago for the next several years, and then you go get big money to go and say, Hey, look, I'm taking this exact playbook. And now I'm going to a city that's got more population or like the next one below it. You know, I'm not going to go and just kind of like take all my marketing dollars and somehow they're diluted. Um, so I just want to, uh, one, I want to just give you that story because advice is all about experiences, what you get when you don't get what you want. And I felt like, how did I not know about this brand? Cause you kind of left your home field advantage because you thought you had to grow because the VCs would like that story, but it wasn't the best use of your time or money. Absolutely. I mean, and this is the, ultimately, yes, we're a unique marketplace, but we're still a marketplace. And that is the playbook for like local marketplaces. Think Airbnbs and Uber is actually probably even better. Like you really have to like learn and crush your first market and then replicate. And that was originally our thinking but now because we're getting inquiries from other markets, we are, as I said, you know, and that was like when I, the studios that reach out to me, I was like, I can support you guys with the technology, but not with marketing dollars because we need to focus on Chicago. But I think that what we're finding, Chicago is definitely a good market to be with again in terms of what we're building. A lot of studios, um, very large percentage of, actually, Illinois has one of the largest percentage of people that belong to fitness, um, uh, utilize fitness clubs. 
Um, so we're still seasonal. Uh, and we are trying to, ex- we want to experiment in another market and it's a little bit less seasonal. I mean, you, you bring up a really interesting um, point about what an entrepreneur has to deal with to say, hey, look, I'm going to go build a brand. I'm going to create these relationships. I'm going to facilitate them. But you've, your, your technology platform could potentially be licensed by groups in the market that have said, oh, I'd love to do co-op marketing with you. And then it kind of fizzles out because they, they don't know how to sell. They try to cross-sell memberships. If it's they- mostly done verbally or it's done through, you know, yeah. handoffs. Yeah. Um, so I question whether you might've kind of stumbled onto, you know, a software play yeah. on facilitating bundling of studio yeah. memberships that nobody's really facilitated before. Yeah. So actually our first idea was a B2B play. Uh, so it's definitely been on our, our, on our mind. What we discovered is that sometimes uh, studios have, you know, preferences with who they do this and it might not always be rational. Uh, and it, uh, that's why we wanted to keep it like a marketplace uh, approach to let the consumer decide what are their favorite to studios versus having the studios to decide and maybe leaving money on the table because they do that. Because we actually have like a secondary user case, which is like a commuter, a commuter that especially now with like where you uh, might not be going to the office every single day, you might pick two of the same modalities, one closer to home, one closer to work. And you know, I'll, if you're a studio, you won't really know about that user case. And as I said, you'll be leaving money money on the table. So definitely, uh, even during the pandemic, we were working on a white table for an international brand doing the same. So it's definitely something that's on our mind. Yeah, it's great. So as you've gone through this process, and obviously you started a business at the absolute best time during a pandemic, um, in a non-essential health and fitness business that we hopefully will change over time with Ursa and Liv, Liz Clark and and the cohort at uh, in the industry associations to try and help us become more relevant and get our message through that exercise is actually essential. It's not non-essential. Having said that, any takeaways from your experience? Yeah, you know, I was a banker and I went into uh, a startup and I realized that, you know, my Excel sheet never actually turned out to what I thought it was going to be. But it's really easy in, in Excel to copy and paste over what was going to happen this month, next month. Um, so what are some of the things you've learned you know, that, that, that an entrepreneur goes in, uh, to say, here's what you think's going to happen. Let me tell you what's actually going to happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think similar to you, uh, the first thing I did, you know, because my background was in finance and building financial models was like to build one. Uh, I found that, especially in the earliest uh, stages, I obviously, Still look at it, but I don't find it as useful as for um, it, as it is for a later stage company. So I would say my advice for early entrepreneurs would be: yes, do the financial model, know your unit economics, uh, but go not on doors. The business right. is not going to happen at Excel. It's going to happen by you doing the entrepreneurial thing, which is selling and building a, a business uh, outside of Excel. Yeah, you know one of the things that. Yeah, and we get business plans in all the time and we see companies that are looking to raise another round. And then when you take a look at their org chart, you know, they might be very tech heavy, um, but they haven't hired, you know, the business development people or the salespeople. So it's almost like, you know, I'm going to field a football team, but I'm not going to have any 
wide receivers that can necessarily like catch the ball. I'm not going to pay up for, you know, a great quarterback because, I, you know, my technology, I'm going to get that message through. And the reality is that, especially in this industry, people are buying a, a service from someone based on trust that you're going to help them solve a frustration or you're going to be a weapon for them to, to compete against others. So as you grow, you know, how do you think about your next five hires? You know, where do those, what, what are those boxes and what type of people do you put in them? And, and since you were in banking before, you know, people get paid a lot of money in banking. Um, they don't get paid a lot of money in startups, but they get paid a lot of money in software companies. So it's like, you got to cross the chasm in order to afford, you know, rock stars at the same time, adding another engineer is not going to get you any revenue. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, you, we're thinking about that, especially, um, you know, now that we're fundraising, uh, we're fundraising, we definitely, uh, have very detailed plans of want to hire and ultimately we've already built a tech at uh, the tech being a marketplace yes you're a very unique one and we have to build a custom uh, platform for that and we have to have the integrations uh the my Mighty integration etc to uh, get the studios to buy in because that was a big pain point for them with uh other third-party aggregators um so we needed to have that even in the mvp so the product is not necessarily super technology technologically heavy uh so uh, in terms of, uh, you know, technical talent, it could be even a part-time CTO where we definitely need help. And that's even evaluating my uh, my gaps is marketing. Like someone that would help us build a brand, but also has the tenacity to do experiments with different marketing channels. Um, so definitely th those are kind of next hires that we're looking to do. And part-time studio partnerships, um, with Trigon, as I said, could be part-time people. That's great. Well, it's great that you're, uh, welcome to the Halo sector, officially. Yeah. Um, yeah. We met in person. I kind of like meeting people in person. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm glad that's back in action again. And I encourage everyone to go to trade shows, go to events, go to, you know, dinner meetings and everything else, because uh, that's the way you build real relationships in a bricks and mortar and real world. And people are not going to be hanging on their apartments unless they have to. Uh, I think we, we called that early and, you know, keep us posted on how you're doing. If you need introductions uh, and, you know, we'd love to see you saturate Chicago and then you'll be able to tell the story. And then, you know, the, the methodical growth that maybe starts in an Excel sheet and actually, actually happens in the real yes, world. Yes, we um, can't wait for that. <laughs> sounds good. All right, we'll yeah. see you in person again. And uh, yes. I guess to be up soon. And, uh, you know, keep pushing forward. I know sometimes progress feels like it's uh, yeah. it's slow, but we're, we're it's making happening. the steps towards it. Thanks, awesome. Steve.